Welcome to Welcome Heart, Living a Legacy Life podcast. My name is Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com. What better legacy than to open our hearts to God and open our lives and homes to others? Jesus said, love me, love your neighbor. Sounds like a legacy life to me. Thank you for joining me. Today, I'm so happy to introduce you to my new friend, Anjali Pascal. She is a pastor's wife down in the beautiful city of San Diego or Mission Valley. Is that right? Mission Hills? Uh, Mission Hills Church, but just a little north of downtown San Diego. Okay. And I read that she is a mother of five, which to me is like credibility for anything. I remember <laughs> when I, I got married very late, as my friends, many of my listeners know. And so my mom was just like relieved. But when I uh, had my first child, I got pregnant. My daughter, my younger sister who had been married, you know, like since she was 12, said, Sue, you are going to finally have credibility. And she didn't say finally, but you, you will have credibility now when you speak because you're going to be a mother. So you have credibility times oh, five. And goodness. that's uh, my mother had five. So it's so oh, unusual. Five? Oh, yeah. I'm number four. Yes. yes. <gasps> Oh yeah. And I, and I turned out okay. So look at your yes, fourth one great. and say, well, most, most days. And then um, my husband is from a family of five. No way. And they're all introverts and they all marry these wild and crazy extroverts. So when we get together with the Donaldsons, it's different than when all the, this is not about me today, but we do have sibling reunions. <laughs> so much fun with my side of the family because we were all so outgoing. So we just met in Arkansas we meet every two years and we use my parents' inheritance to do that. So it pays for all oh the flights. Gosh. So it's a blast. And I'll send you information on that later if you're interested. But praise God, you have five children. Um, you started the Moms Club, the founder of the Moms Club. So I want you to tell yeah. us a little bit about that. But I do recall when my kids were little, I was driving downtown San Luis Obispo and I saw this funny sign out in front of a house and it said Club 24 7. And I thought, well, that must be a mom's club because we're on call 24 seven. Yeah. So oh, tell us about the mom's club. And then we're going to talk about your books. Sure. I started the moms. We love club probably, oh gosh, five years ago. And I, it was a time in my life where all the kids, all my little kids were very little. Mm -hmm. So 10 and under and basically drowning. And I would come across these women online or through just talking to other women and who these moms who are basically enduring long-term hardship where their mm -hmm. child was sick, their husband was, was sick, or they themselves were sick. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I'm like barely making it. I can't imagine adding on top of that, like a terminal disease, mm -hmm. you know? And so I kind of use my platform to launch the Moms We Love Club, which is a way every month where we support and lift up a mom in need. And oh, we do wow. that. Through, yeah, we do that by highlighting her and her story and asking people to pray and donate and just <gasps> kind of remember the mom. I feel like when you I endure long-term hardship, yeah, mm -hmm. you're forgotten, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're in the hospital again. You know, it just becomes... Mm -hmm. People forget. And so it was a way to just remember these moms who are really struggling. Like our friends, Lisa Leonard. Do you yes. Know? Yeah. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. They came up here. Uh, he was pastor at our church and then her business took off. So he joined her in the business. So yeah, we've been yeah. here for years. So yeah, so difficult. And I'm glad they're an online presence because then we remember that, wow, they're back in the hospital again and this has not gone away. 
Yes. So praise the Lord. What a vision that you, and then that must have uplifted you as well in your journey to be able to seek out someone who maybe has it a little harder than you do. Oh yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. And in, in twofold, one, you remember like that was a way that God met me and a way I could use my gifts. And that was so affirming, um, that God would use me in such a way to, mm -hmm. to be a vessel to love mm -hmm. these women. Mm -hmm. And then getting to know these women who are so profound and so faithful and so committed to motherhood. It mm -hmm. was incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, today we're talking about your second book, your first book, Stay. I have not read. I just finished Awake. So I thought it was funny to call it Stay Awake. I'm sure a lot of people have said that one. Just write one yeah. book called Stay Awake. But I think it should be voted uh, cutest cover. Oh my gosh. Aww, thank you. So cute. We had a rooster in our neighborhood for a very short time and no one liked it because no. it is a rude awakening. It's not it's the awakening rude. of God, though. I think no. he can be invasive and we can think he's rude at times, but of course, Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> of course, we're so glad when we finally become awake to his presence. I'd like to begin by reading your quote. I'm afraid I'll arrive at the end of my life and realize I never really lived. Uh, can you describe where that fear came from? And is that why you wrote the book? One, it's 100% why I wrote the book. Um, that fear probably comes from, oh, I would say observing other people in my life or online and thinking, uh, giving into maybe the lie or the belief that other people were living a life, like a full life or an adventurous life or a meaningful life and the fear that I wouldn't be able to do that. It's like this weird future anxiety of, of, you know, hopefully living another 40, 50 years and then thinking, oh, I wasted it. Hmm. I missed it, you know, and I just set out to write this book because I thought there just had to be another way. It hmm. can't, I can't, it can't be like this. Hmm. Uh, I remember years ago thinking I was in Europe for 10 weeks with two girlfriends and backpack wanting to rather just be home and be married, you know, but that's where my life was. And I caught myself going, you're not really appreciating these Alps right now that you're yeah. at. you just want something else that you don't have. And that was a true conviction. I mean, I was 25 sure. years old and I think we can miss well, that's what your whole book is about. We miss what we're really living by hoping for something that we think will, will, will fulfill us. Now, yeah. now you seem to have had, um, I didn't, I didn't talk about this ahead of time, but a pretty solid upbringing. Yeah. So that fear came from what you think, just looking at others and going, boy, I hope I really measure up to what other people are doing. Is that what you meant just now? Yeah. And I think there was this constant feeling. Oh, the best way I can describe it is a, a train where I'm on the platform and it feels like the goal is to get on the train. And every, like, it seems like some people figured out how to get on the train and they're on it and they're having a great time. And sometimes they open the window and say, well, if you just do it like this, you could be on the train too. And so I'm kind of like always running behind the train, trying to get on it. Mm. And I think that was the feeling. And that was the, the picture that always kept coming to mind that I was always chasing something else. Hmm. Hmm. And how did God convict you? Of that of that Feel, feeling feeling of not being enough or that you're not doing yeah. it. Yeah. 
Well, I think it, I think honestly, Sue, it took writing this book. Wow. (laughs) You know, it took me writing this book because I think that was part of me writing it was that like, is there another way? Or maybe Mm -hmm. this is just, I have to live with this or, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, I wrote the first draft of my book and I turned it in and I had this gut feeling of like, I still don't think I figured it out. Mm. And I started asking this question, which I think was really helpful for me. I asked all my friends, all my family, when in your life have you been the most awake? Mm. And I just left it there and everyone, honestly, their responses were so shocking. And I think this is the conviction. This was the turning point for me is that everyone said, wow, this, this time when I was sitting with my best friend in a car and I told her my secrets and she loved me anyway. Mm -hmm. It was that time when I was in on a hike in the middle of nowhere and nobody knew where I was. And I was feeling so desperate and I saw the shooting star Mm -hmm. and it was like, God saw me. Mm -hmm. It was that time when, you know, I was rocking my baby to sleep and no one knew, Mm -hmm. no one was watching. It was just midnight, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was like, what was surprising, Sue, was no one said to me, that time I got my master's degree. Exactly. That time, even, it wasn't even a wedding day. No Mm -hmm. one said their wedding day. No one even Mm -hmm. said the birth of my children. Mm, Interesting. And And so it was just this fascinating moment for me of like, oh, I have always equated awakeness with what we accomplish. And that is not true. Mm -hmm. Awakeness is about connection. Mm -hmm. And it's connection to God, connection to our calling, connection to creation, connection to our community. And that's what we're really looking for. And the whole vision or image of a train completely evaporated because it was like, that's ridiculous. That's not even true. What, when I want, um, awakeness, what I really am looking for is connection. And what I used to always think of awakeness is I have to get it. Mm. It's my job to get it. And now it's more of, Oh, I just get to receive it. Mm-hmm. I love the story you told about your mom telling you how to wash dishes and that you broke yes. a dish. You broke a dish anyway, and she could hear it from another room and she'd call out, I love you more than that dish. And it reminded me, I think I broke my mother's one and only bowling trophy. She was very non-athletic and my dad forced her to go bowling. And um, I I broke it, I'm pretty sure when I was dusting and she said, she cried a little, but she said, you know, that she loved me more than her bowling trophy. But we have moms who loved us that way, imperfectly, at least mine imperfect, but still I... I grew up knowing and feeling loved, which helps, helps me love other people. But for those I have met who don't have that solid um, mom, dad, parent love, and they act it out still by being unloving or being insecure, how do you help them receive God's unconditional love is, I mean, I feel like I'm shoveling snow into an empty vessel that has a hole on the bottom. And it's like, how many times can I tell someone, but you know what? God loves you unconditionally. Is there a, I know there's no formula, but can you think of how you, you probably have people in mind right now when I'm talking who still can't 
quite receive the fact that you love them and that God loves them. How can we help them? Yeah. Well, right. I think you even mentioned this, maybe it was in your prayer before we started, but I think many of us know God loves us. We could, we could like answer that correctly on a scantron mm-hmm. sheet, right? Uh, but we don't haven't experienced God loving us. And I think those fundamental attachments that we have between zero and 12, especially really shape our understanding of what it means to experience love. Mm -hmm. And many of us, even with good parents have a disordered idea of what love is. Hmm. And so the good news is that the Holy spirit is always working on our hearts to take what is disordered and putting it back into order. Mm. And so that journey is not one you can manipulate or coerce, but it's one you have to go on. Mm. And so I would say for women, especially who have had an absent father or an angry mother or experience a lot of isolation. And so that hole is a hole. Like it's really, when you say shoveling snow, like you are literally shoveling snow into a hole. That's what you're doing mm-hmm. until that person has the courage to go on the journey mm-hmm. to be with Jesus in their hole. And it's almost, I'm, I mean, it's really what it is, the walk uh, mm-hmm. to the cross, right? Mm-hmm. It's that walk of experiencing betrayal, the walk of experiencing pain, of loneliness, of guilt and shame. And until you go to that place, mm-hmm. you never experience God loving you in that place. And no one, we can hold people's hands there, but people have to choose to say yes to a really, what can be a very vulnerable and scary journey. And very painful one. I just talked to someone uh who has just started this journey in therapy, a Christian woman, mother of six, I think, and didn't know she needed to go on it. You know, like she's surprised by the holes. And uh, I said, well, let me interview you in six months then. Let's wait and see how the journey goes because that is, and I said, isn't it going to be more painful before it gets better? And she goes, that's what I'm told. Um, I love what you said about the, the apostle John walking into a room saying, Hey, I'm loved. You know, that's his main identity when he walks into a room, because I think, I think when we really catch on, it makes me kind of cry uh, to that um, and embrace it. We aren't looking for how people are looking at us. We're finding the person, the woman sitting by herself. We're finding the woman who's dressed to the T, but really has is hiding all sorts of pain. And God will say, hey, would you just go talk to that person? Because that's the one who needs you right now. You don't need someone to come up and say, wow, I read your book and you're so great and blah, blah, blah. So I just loved it. And you said that John walked into every room, every relationship, every conflict, which we still have, uh, attentive to his true meaning. And his yeah. true meaning was not that he wrote, you know, the book of John or Revelation. That's not his true meaning. The fact was, is that, hey, I'm beloved yeah. by Christ. You know, yeah. tell me more about that. Why'd you come up uh, with that? This is so beautiful. Oh, I know. Well, I used to read it all the time and it yeah. bothered me. Me you too. Right? I thought, you're so like, arrogant. A little yeah. fool yourself there, Mr. John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but if you're going to be arrogant about something, let it be the love of God. Mm. He mm. loves me. He loves me. He loves mm-hmm. me. Um, and I feel like when we can own that, uh, um, not that 
conflict, pain, suffering, none of that goes away, Mm -hmm. but it becomes the way in which you see people. Hmm. Uh, You don't see them as in a place of trying to defend yourself or you have to attack other people. It's more of like, I don't need to do that because I don't, I, I would like you to like me. I would like you to love me, but I don't mm-hmm. need you to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like people to dislike me. And if they dislike me, I'd rather they just not tell me and just yeah, go away. Right. I, I have enough people who like me. Yeah. I guess yeah. I shouldn't say yeah. that in case they stop yeah. liking me. Um, <laughs> you write about the words hold and wait. Describe what you mean and how does holding and waiting keep us asleep and away from God's presence? Yeah. Well, I feel like that is so much of life, isn't it? hold on and wait, hold on and wait. There's always something um, next, right? Some people are very past or, I don't know, are you past, future or present oriented? When you think about time, Mm, where do you spend a lot of your energy? I would say future for the next week. So it's sort of present. Yes, (laughs) yes. But I think it's important to identify that Mm -hmm. because- Good question. Um, not that there is any right or wrong, but I think there's an awareness of where you, where your mind wanders when you're right about to fall asleep, when you're really quiet, Mm -hmm. what is it that you're, you're, what is consuming a lot of your head space? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that for me and possibly other women is strategizing how to get to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be very consuming Mm-hmm. And um, yes, there's a place for that. But there's also when we are so caught up in the next thing or the next best thing or getting to Friday or the weekend or summer or Christmas or my birthday, mm-hmm. you know, it's like really keeps us disconnected from mm-hmm. being right here and being um, even present to what's in front of you. Right. That's so true. Now, I'm not crazy about making New Year's resolutions. I make the list. I forget where the list was. I forget what they were. And then you feel a little shame, maybe come March 1st and say, well, forget it. I'm never doing it again. But, and I love your line, all the resolutions make me want to take a long nap, which naps are, you know, like Christ-like, so that's good. But what do you say to encourage the woman? I have women like this in my life who want to do better. And a way for them to do better is to make goals, is to make a personal growth plan, is to make a list, a to-do list. Um, But I don't want them to be discouraged and disillusioned. Oh, well, uh, Angelie and Sue say, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to live in the present. So who cares if I'm 50 pounds overweight or that I never open my Bible or that I still don't speak to my little sister? I mean, what do you say to those people who were, you're saying, oh, no, just live in the present? Right. Well, I think there's a difference. uh, And I think it's about your motive and your heart. And this is really important that we pay attention to the difference between moral formation and spiritual formation. And a a lot of times, if you look at a, right, I'm, I'm a very list person as well. I'm not saying a list is bad. What I'm saying is what is driving you? What is motivating you? And a lot of times, we are driven to accomplish because it fills up that hole inside of us, Sue. So mm-hmm. if I get all the closets cleaned this <laughs> summer, then I'm oh, I'm a good mom. And so we're doing all those things to be morally good. Okay. 
and to kind of make ourselves feel better. Now, should we clean out the closets? Yes, that's a good thing. Should we not be hoarders? Yes, that'd be ideal. <laughs> but there's also, I want to, I want to highlight for women, the spiritual formation in the things that you're doing. Meaning what? Why, what are you, why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing that? Are you obsessed with having a clean house so that if someone comes over, they look at you and put you on a pedestal? Mm. Or are you cleaning your house to create a space for hospitality and for Mm -hmm. people to be welcomed and worth, you know, do you see the difference? So there's a place for um, anything you do. And I think this is one of the things I talk about in the introduction is the story beneath the story. Oh yeah. That yes, you think you're doing all these things, running around a carpool and soccer and end of the year parties. Right. But what is God doing? And I think awakeness really is asking that question of ourselves is where is God Hmm. in that list? Where is God? And he is always going to be loving you in that. And part of loving you is holding up a mirror and saying, Hey Sue, you are planning that birthday party for your husband because of X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? You know, God is revealing our motives, right? He wants the inside of the cup clean. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of that is, is revealing those deeper places and why we do the things we do. Right. We shouldn't shame those who like to clean their closets just because they like to clean their closets. Nope. Not at all. Uh, And the fact is, is that I, I, um, I see, I see how it's, it's really our motive that God, am I doing this to show off? Am I podcasting because I like to hear myself talk? Am I writing a book because I have to have a lot of words? Or is this what God wants me to do in his story? So right. that was one of my questions when you said um, the more pertinent question. Every day I'd like to say to God, uh, what do you want me to do today? Um, my to-do list starts with number one, relate well with God. Number two, everything else. So whatever else comes after that then I can be assured that that's really what he wanted me to do. I would say that's kind of entering into his story. Um, So you say uh, the more pertinent question is God, what are you doing? So do you ask, do you ask that of yourself or of God every day? I don't know every day, Mm -hmm. but I think it is an awareness that I'm looking for God. Okay. And is that what you mean by the story beneath the story? Yeah. I do because I think the story, right. I just had a conflict with a friend the other day and I can get, you know, obsessed with, I said this, she said this, why would she do yeah. that? I can't believe it. You're right. Right. We, we get obsessed <laughs> yep. with the surface. Right. And I think what the Lord is doing is Angelie, why is that bothering you? So yeah, much? exactly. And that's the story beneath the story. And that is what the uh-huh. Lord is always yeah. Do it where the mm-hmm. surgery is happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, Angela, you care way more about her um, getting her approval mm-hmm. than anybody else's. What is it about her approval do you need so much? Mm-hmm. Right, you have right. given something to her that belongs to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think there's a, a really like a, a stepping back and a really like, I want to be awake to that. I want to be awake to what's happening below the surface. And depending on how much sleep I've had determines <laughs> on how quickly I get to that second question. Yeah. The second question. The second That's question. Great. Yeah. And, and switch to the second question. 
Uh, and it's something I'd like to teach, especially my adult children, but I think they might have to learn it on their own by watching mm. me. Mm. Um, I love what you said about connection, uh, not only how risky it is, but how necessary and possible. A lot of women are lonely. I'm known for speaking on hospitality, but actually the secret is I speak on loneliness. Yeah. And, um, and so I was able, and, and that's really the bottom line for me that we have the opportunity to dispel people's loneliness. You know that, um, oh, David Brooks, that New York journalist, he said that 45, 40, 35% of people over 45 years old are chronically lonely, chronically. Mm. Yeah, and 8% of adults have meaningful uh, conversations with their neighbors in a year. Mm-hmm. Angelia, these things ought not to be. And yet when we are feeling like we're not part of anybody's story, most uh, less, you know, least of all gods, we won't even get out of bed in the morning or at least not go across the street and say, Hey, I know I made banana bread. Oh, you're gluten-free. I'll be right back. You know, something like that is a way to say, Hey, I'm being seen. I know that's kind of an overworked phrase, but um, that is the story beneath the story that yeah. people are lonely and they need to know that God loved them to the cross mm-hmm. and back. Well, I think what you said too is really you hit you hit the bullseye of it's risky. There's anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. So, but right below anxiety is meaning. Hmm. And so, when you think about any relationship in your life, it's even people like who you are very close to, or you've known your whole yes. life that you can feel lonely with, right? Yep. And so, but to get to meaning, you have to go through the risk. You have to go through the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know that um, I'm encouraged, uh, well, myself and others that you go ahead and you go as God leads you through the anxiety to the meaning, but the other person may not respond. And we are not in control of someone else's response to even if we go to them and say, you know, you've hurt me, or I have not forgiven you for something that you did 15 years ago, and I'm sorry, and they'll get mad instead. I mean, we really can't control others, but we can control is enough work for me, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you you discover that that is what we all truly need is connection? Mm. Was it by giving this survey to all those friends? Well, I think, well, well, part of it, but I mean, I think that's what we're we're created for. Mm -hmm. Connection. I mean, when we, um, I think of the fall of man, right? In the garden, when we entered this life that we have, we were, we had that hole, mm. you know? And I think anyone, if they're really honest with themselves, knows that's true. And so when we come into relationship with Christ, he's present there, that hole, but it takes time to understand how God, um, how that connection really happens Hmm. and it's time and experiences um, in real life relationships. But I think that connection is really what we all crave. And it doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert. It doesn't, you know what I mean? I think just to say that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it means like, okay, well, connection means going out and having a party. Mm -hmm. You know, I think connection can be a very quiet, intimate thing. Mm -hmm. That surpasses personalities or Enneagram numbers, you know? Right, right. We all long for that. What what advice or counsel would you give the person who wants to make a connection but doesn't feel secure enough Mm. to to reach out? 
I think the best place to start is honesty. Hmm. I want something. There's something in me that wants something more. I don't really know how to name it. I don't know how to get it, but it's there and I want it. I think honesty is just so powerful Hmm. with others and especially in prayer. Hmm. Um, What do you, you know, this is a podcast on legacy and I can kind of sense what your legacy is, but right now uh, at age, whatever age you are, I could be 41. Oh, see, I could be your grandmother. Um, If I'd started a little younger, um, what is your legacy that you want to be giving to those who love you and know you? Oh, that's a great question. Well, if I think about my kids, um, it sounds so simple, but um, well, one, that Jesus loves them. Jesus loves you, but also stay the course. I think that life has so many tosses and turns and storms and stumbles. And, but I think there's this, like, I would want them to remember, stay the course, stay the course. And the Mm. Lord is with them on it. Mm. How are you living that legacy for them right now? Well, I hope I am. (laughs) I hope that even through, man, just the everyday trials we have here in our home of put your shoes away and hurry, get in the car and don't be mean to your sister. (laughs) Um, That the consistency that I have with them and my husband and I create in our home, that that's okay. You can be angry and scream, throw something and laugh and cry and we're not going anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. I hope that that instills in them a sense of that's how God is with them. Hmm. And it will too, because by doing that, you're saying, I love you more than the broken dish. Yeah. So, yeah. So great. How does your life embody the welcoming heart of God? Oh, how does my life embody the welcoming heart of God? Oh, well, I think this might be a roundabout answer, <laughs> but I think my, my, like one of my deepest desires is that my life would be a mirror of God's love for people. Hmm. And so I live very um, openly and vulnerably, even online, but even in person, like I work, um, I don't want to say work because it's very easy actually for me. I think vulnerability is funny like that where the more you're vulnerable, actually the easier it gets. And the more you know that God loves you, the the easier it is to be a mess or to be real. Mm-hmm. And so I think my life embodies that. And gosh, if someone's coming over, I am not going to stress out about that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to run around and throw things in drawers and I'm not going to pretend my life is not, uh, not what it is. Mm -hmm. And I hope in that it allows people to be who they are. And I, I guess that's really how I experience God too. Like I really experience God that I can really be silent one day and that's okay. Like if I don't have this amazing prayer life that day, like, I don't think, God is upset or disappointed at all. No, he's you not know, check- like 
he's not checking off a box. We're the ones. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it works vertical and horizontal, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so beautiful. Well, Anjali, I love your name, by the way. And I don't know if I said it right, but you did great. Oh, thanks. And you have been a delight. And what um, you say in the book that women need their souls reworked. And I think you have just um, started the surface, you know, left off the surface today in our in our short conversation. But I um, highly recommend uh, your book. And how can people find you? Oh, find me online. I'm on Instagram almost every day just sharing little small things to keep your heart and soul awake to the love of God. And then website, I do an Instagram, I do a course and spiritual direction, all the things. So I'm, I'm guessing you'll put it in the show notes, but I will put it in the show notes. Give give us your Instagram name. Sure. Love always dot Anjali is A N J U L I. Thank you so much. That and um, we all we are going to be giving away a copy of the book Awake. So that will go through the giveaway. Will go through uh, I believe a week from uh, the day that this is published, which would be on a Sunday night. So be sure you comment and follow Love Always Anjali. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a blast. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.